Good morning. Uh, this is Promotion Sunday, and if you have a rising third grader, so a third grader going to fourth grader, or a kindergartner going into first grade this morning, they're getting a Bible. Um, we love uh, the Word of God and getting it into people's hearts and lives, and so we start early with kids, and so they'll get a Bible. I think we've got a picture of uh, a Bible being handed to a third grader. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. Oh, there we go. It may or may not have been staged earlier this week, but hey, there you go. <laughs> may, or not have been, may or may not have been my kid, so... <laughs> Well, this is uh, week four of a series that we're calling uh, If Grace is True. And the idea with this series is that, uh, that grace, this beautiful word that, that uh, rolls off our tongues or uh, is a prayer that we pray before a meal, that it would become more than that, that uh, more than a word or a concept, that it would become uh, an experience or a reality in our hearts and in our lives. And so we've been spending several weeks learning about the grace of God, how we might do that, this morning, what I want to do is I want to um, help you understand or, or figure out how you might apply the grace of God so that you are a person who uh, receives the grace of God and then extends that grace to other people. And I want to give you, um, as we get to the end of the message, five postures or responses that if the grace of God is in you, uh, can begin to come out of you. We're going to talk about that this morning. I want, to you to stand, I want to invite you to stand with me, if you would. Uh, we're going to read God's Word together. It'll be on the screen. I'll read it aloud. This is from 1 Peter, the letter in the New Testament Peter wrote. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober or clear mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful steward of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. No pressure for someone who does what I do. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All my God's people may be seated. Thank you for standing. Well, it's the summer. And uh, if you're like me, you're going to spend some time outside. The beach, the lake is warming up. You can go to the beach. You can sit there. You can go to the water park. If you have kids, you're going to take them. And you know uh, that when you uh, go uh, in the summer, you have a, an, a, an essential piece of equipment that accompanies you through the summer and makes it so that you successfully make it through the summer without pain. You know what that is, right? It's this stuff, right? What is this? sunscreen, right? And if you have little children, you know that whoever invented the spray-on sunscreen is a complete and total gift from God because you don't want to try and slather that stuff while your kids are slithering all over the place and complaining. Uh, Banana Boat is going to cut me some royalties for saying that, but here you go. Banana Boat, right? But you know, like I know, that you can have this in the can and never apply it and so never receive the benefits that it has to offer. You can own 10 of these, have them in your van or your car, and not take it out of the can and use and apply it in the way that it's meant to be used and applied and make the difference that it's meant to make. Because if you don't, you know what happens, right? If you, those of you that are old enough, you've uh, been around and you've gone in the summer and you've forgotten to apply sunscreen. How many of you have had this experience? Whoops, I forgot. Ouch. Uh, I got some pictures of some people who forgot. Here's a, a great one with a great, that's going to be a great tan line, right? Oh, man. Here's someone who tried to apply it themselves, and they did not do a great job. <laughs> I get it. No, I'm fine. I got it. 
Uh, or here's someone, if you, that's what you can do if you fall asleep at the, at the beach. Uh, Rich, Rich Evans is not in here. He loves Batman. But if you wanted to look like a superhero and you intended to do it, you could do this right here, right? <laughs> this is exactly what you could do. Uh, sunscreen, like God's grace, like God's love, only works when you apply it, right? Doesn't matter if you got the can, if you don't apply it. Well, here's what I've found, is that the grace of God comes to us uh, in, a, in a variety of ways, in a variety of points and times in our lives, uh, the grace of God shows up. Before we are a follower of Jesus, before we love God, the grace of God is actually present. I don't know if you know this, uh, theologians call this common grace or prevenient grace, the grace that means the grace that goes before us. Uh, someone who's not a follower of Jesus experiences the grace of God almost like a force that does good things in their life that they weren't expecting. And so uh, maybe this was your experience is you had some accident and something happened and you look back on that experience in your life and you think, I am not sure why I even survived that. That was the grace of God. Or you were in a relationship with someone and frankly, for the way you treated them, they should have left. They should have abandoned you, and they didn't. They stayed, and you grew past it together, and maybe you're still married or still together. And, and you look back, and the only reason thing you can say is there was some force, some something that was uh, applied to my life in a way I don't understand. That, that was the grace of God. It was the grace of God at work in your life. Uh, the grace of God, the prevenient grace of God, the, the, the common grace of God is like, it's like Forrest Gump grace. <laughs> you know, that's an older movie. Uh, but it was really popular if you haven't seen it. I remember I went, my, my, Andrea and I were not married yet, and we went to the theater and saw Forrest Gump. And I, I, I walked out of the theater, and I almost couldn't speak for an hour because I had the thought, if, if grace is true, then grace must look like that. You know, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. You know, there's For <laughs> Forrest Gump. Don't, don't start laughing too much. No, I had a problem last week. So there was this grace that seemed to permeate through Forrest Gump's life. All these unexplained things. It's almost like this force at work behind the scenes. Uh, it's like a farmer. I'd say there's a farmer who was a, a good person. There's a lot of farms in the area. I know not many of us grew up in that, but we have those surrounding us. And I'd say there was a good farmer, and the good farmer um, treated his uh, kids right and was honest in his dealings and um, always did the right thing financially and economically and morally. And, and the, God sends the rain to him and his crops grow and he's got an abundant harvest. We, would, we, we tend in our mathematics about life, we tend to look at someone like that and go, oh, well, God's blessing him uh, with that because of his, his right living. He's living clean, clean living, you know. But just down the road is another farmer and that farmer uh, cheats everyone out of money. Uh, he mistreats his kids. He's on his third wife and God sends the rain to his farm too and his crops grow and there's an abundant harvest and money goes into his bank account so you can't explain that apart from the grace of God that goes before us before you even know Christ then some of us we, we find the grace of God I'll call it saving grace that we find God and we realize that that power that was this force we couldn't explain doing good things in our life we didn't earn or deserve is, is actually the love of God for me. It's personal to me. God loves me, and you, 
a moment, it's like the scales fall off your eyes, and you go, oh, wait, 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 I need to change my life. I need to give my life to God. And one of my favorite moments in, on Baptism Sunday is when we're in the pool, and, and if you've here, been here on Baptism Sunday, it was just a few weeks ago, you, you see us when we baptize people, we ask them some questions, and they nod their head, and you probably wonder, like, what are you saying exactly? Well, here's what I'm saying. I, I always say, do you know that Jesus Christ paid for every sin that you've ever committed? And that he's wiped the slate clean and he holds absolutely nothing against you. And invariably every time, someone, especially if they're older, the tear will come down their cheek because they go, yeah, I do, I know that. That the grace of God was for me. The grace of God is the, 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 the power of God at work in our life that when we begin to follow Jesus, helps us to follow Jesus. And even if we're following Jesus in a two steps back, one step forward kind of way, it's the grace of God that helps us to change and to transform and to own up to our errors and mistakes. It's the grace of God that reminds us that we're not alone. Um, I like to call it, the, the grace of God appears sometimes as, as the, re, I call it the rerouting grace. You know, you got your GPS and you're driving down the road and you miss your turn and you go down and what does the GPS do? You know, it'll say re, recalculating, recalculating. And you go down the road and it'll say turn left, you idiot. I mean, it didn't say that, but you know, you just what it's probably thinking. You go further, it reroutes you so you can still get to your destination. How many of you have ever just wanted to quit? You're done. You're like, I, I can't take anymore. Anybody? And then you're ready to quit. And you're just like, I've had enough. I can't do anymore, God. That's, I'm done. And then someone sends you a message that you weren't expecting. Or a note comes. Or a phone call comes. Or a song comes on the radio. What is that? That's the grace of God. I can't tell you the number of times someone after a service will come down and they'll say, I don't know how you knew what was going on in my life, but that message today or that song, that was just for me. I, d I didn't have a clue. That's the grace of God. That's the, the grace of God operating that, in that person's life. Because the grace of God comes to us in all different kinds of ways. The grace of God is the love of God acting on our behalf. Now, I want to I give you an image. Uh, that It's my image, and it's helped me. And it's personal to me, but I want to share it with you because this has helped me to move the love of God from being this abstract concept that God loves people and he loves me, oh, to something that I go, oh, he really does love me. He really loves, loves me. Um, and you may hear me, uh, this uh, illustrates it's about my kids, and you, you say, well, you talk about your kids all the time. Well, here's what I know. I just know that the grace of God is for whatever season of life that you're in. And, and Andrea and I just happen to be in the season of raising kids, and so we need lots of help. We need lots of grace. But I, I want you to know that the grace of God is for whatever season you're in. Did you know that there's dying grace? There's retirement grace? That there's lonely grace? That there's new job grace? That there's single mom grace? For whatever season of life that you're in, the grace of God is for you. For in that season. So this is our season. And uh, this is just kind of an image that's helped me a lot to understand that God really does love me. Maybe you think I've got it together and I've got it all figured out. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm a person like you. And I wonder sometimes, am I doing this right, God? Um, there's this beautiful passage that Paul writes in, in the letter he writes to the Christians in Rome. And he says in that letter at the end of, of chapter 8, he has these beautiful words that um, are, are wonderful. I'll put them on the screen. And he basically says, listen, I'm, I'm convinced that there's nothing that's going to be able to se separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, neither the past or the future, angels or demons and height or depth, nothing at all in creation, I mean, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, those are beautiful, beautiful words, but 
until you bring that home and you go, that's the love of God for me, it doesn't impact you. So, so here's the image. I, when I was, uh, my kids were little, especially my, my boys, when they were little, um, they used to help me on projects. I, I think I'm handy. I'm really not, but I think I am. And I've got tools and stuff. And, and so I like to pretend like I know what I'm doing. And so I, I'm, I'm working on a project when I was a kid, and I, we, I got them these little plastic tools, you know, that they could come with me. Uh, in fact, here's uh, Corbin. He's nine now. Uh, that he came one day. We had a picture of him right here. Uh, that he, he got all this together himself. He put the ear things on and the eye things and with the tape measure and came over and he's like, where I am, Dad? You know, he's probably less, a little less than two right there. Uh, but I gave him these little, these little plastic tools and I'd be working on my projects, you know, and I'd give him the tool and I'd have a hammer and they'd take out their little plastic hammer and they'd pound on that piece of wood. Or I'd be sawing something and they'd take out their little plastic saw and they'd saw away. You know what I, you know what I realized? I never once worried that their little hammer or their little saw was going to dent my project. My project, well, that piece of wood, that piece of metal was too strong for their little tool to dent. Here's, here's, the, here's the image, okay? You cannot dent the love of God for you. His project of love is too big. It's too great. Your little hammer, your little saw is like a little plastic thing to him. You can't dent the love of God for you. You can't do it. You think, oh, I, did, I, I saw this wrong, God. No, you can't. You can't dent the love of God for you. So what that means then, I'll, 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 let me translate that for you. That means that there's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. You could today say, you know, I heard this guy from the Gideons. He was there and... and Man, I, God, I think I'm called to Afghanistan and the Middle East and Iraq, and I'm going to take Bibles to ISIS, and I'm going to convert them in your name, and I'm going to do it, God, I am. You could go do that, but God's not going to go, oh, now I love you more. You could say, you know what, I think what I need to do in my life is I need to read the Bible more, and I need to pray, and so you, you start this practice of you read the Bible for two hours, and then you pray for three hours, and God's not going to love you more. He's not, oh, I love you now. I, I didn't love you that much before, but you did all those things. I love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. You could give away uh, 90% of your income to the things that God cares about. You give it to the church and the poor and nonprofits in the city and make it, and you, you live on 10%. God's not going to go, wow, I love you now. I, I didn't love you before. I, mean, I kind of loved you when you gave away 10%, but I really love you now. No, you can't. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And here's the flip side. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. So that means that there's no racism in your heart that makes God love you less. There's no pride in your heart that God looks at you and goes, I love, I love you less. There's no, there's no, there's no uh, acts you could do. There's no adultery or murder or porn or any of those things that you could engage in that would God would say, well, I've, I decided that I loved you until you did that, and now I don't love you as much anymore because you did that. There's nothing you can, make God, uh, you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. You cannot put a dent in the project of God's love for you. You can't do it. There is nothing in all creation that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's nothing you can do. Absolutely nothing that you can do. But you can have it in a bottle and never apply it, and never receive the benefits of it. So I want you to, I want you to apply it. 
Now let me, let me, give, you, uh, let me give you a couple of ways, two paths I, I find that people wander down when they say, I want to apply the grace of God and I want to be a graceful, grace-filled person. But I, I, two paths I see people wander down um, that are not grace, they're, they're kind of detours. They're, uh, if, if you imagine a fork in a road and there's three paths, there's two paths you can take that just don't take you in the right direction. Uh, the first one is, I'll, I'll call it ungrace. It's like the opposite of grace. It's the, the atmosphere that comes when you, you act as though grace is not true. I send out an email on Saturday nights, just kind of what's going to happen, and I just was thinking as I was writing that email, you know, what would, what would life be like if grace were not true? And, and I realized if grace were not true, uh, forget ever being forgiven for anything ever again from anyone. Uh, never be late to work again, because there's no grace. Uh, don't ever miss a credit card payment again because, or a mortgage payment because there's no grace period. Don't call up the bank saying, I just missed it. I Never do that again. Uh, you're on the hook for the rest of your life for your performance, and your value and your worth is solely based on your performance and worth, so suck it up. Don't screw it up. Uh, if grace is not true, I mean, we're in a lot of trouble, and what happens if grace is not true is ungrace is the result, and you live in the world that I live in and the world that you and I live in, we have all these burdens that get put on us, because this is how ungrace happens, is people put their burdens on you and say, this is what you ought to be. This is what you should be. This is what you must do. Uh, you live in th this world, and in this world, you have to look a certain way, and you have to be a certain way to feel like you're okay. That's why people hate aging, is in our culture, especially because you, you, your body can't do what it used to be able to do. You don't look the way you used to look when you were young, and and you just feel like you're less than. There's a whole population of people uh, that are older in our country who we make feel like they're nobody because they don't look the way they used to when they were 20. It's ungrace. Uh, probably the most toxic form of ungrace comes from religion, though, uh, because it's when you, you're trying to communicate the truth about God, but what you do is you end up communicating the exact opposite in the name of God. Uh, when I was in college, um, I went to a Christian college. My wife and I met there in Kansas City, and I uh, sang in a men's quartet. Don't think I'm weird, uh, but for three years, and uh, we traveled around seven states, represented this college, and uh, basically I sang for my supper. I paid the majority of my, my college for three years, and uh, we would go places, and we would go with the president sometimes of the university and sing and do, the, do, do our thing. Well, we were in one Midwestern state that will remain unnamed, unnamed Iowa. Uh, and um, and we were we were singing, and uh, after after we uh, after we sang, th this gentleman came up and uh, felt like he needed to explain what we some things we had done wrong. Now, in that day, uh, this was the early '90s. I had a lot of hair for one thing, and I had hair that was down. Remember the early '90s, the the mullet, the like the party mullet. Man, I was I was rocking that thing. Um, my wife, that's why she married me. It was that so beautiful? And and uh, so. And one of my other friends had these uh, really thick hair. He still has thick hair. I hate him. And he, um, <laughs> he had really long bangs that kind of hung down on this side over his face. And he just would flop his hair everywhere. And this guy came up to the president and said, you need to do something about those boys that you have and their hair. What they're doing is, is wrong. It's not holy. And he came up to my friend and he said, uh, looked at my friend, looked, kind of looked him up and down. He said, uh, <clears throat> you know, Satanists cut their hair like that. My friend was like, what? Yeah, you Satanists cut their hair like that. You need to cut your hair. What did this man feel? He felt like he was, he was protecting something. He had to protect God in some way. And so 
in his attempt to say something that he thought was true, what he communicated was the opposite of grace. He communicated ungrace. Jesus uh, dealt with this. In fact, he talked to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. He says to the Pharisees, he says, listen, you travel over land and sea to make one convert, and when you make one convert, you make them twice the child of hell that you are. You tie up heavy loads and you put them on men's backs, but you yourselves are not willing to lift a single finger. It's ungrace. It's this, you, you communicate to people that they, they aren't enough and they aren't doing it right. In, if you've been around church circles, you'll hear this word gets thrown around. Someone becomes a legalist. A legalist is a person who cares more about the rules than about the person who's trying to live by those rules. And you twist people and you morph their personality because they don't, they don't feel like they're accepted. You communicate ungrace. See, in your attempt to to take the love of God, you can go the wrong path. One of the wrong paths is to ungrace. And person who's been ungraced, what they need to hear is John three seventeen. You know, John three sixteen gets held up at John three sixteen held up at NFL football games on the placards. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know what John three seventeen says? Should be on the placard too. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. What ungrace does is communicates you're condemned, which means I've judged you already. There's no hope for you. You cannot change. Forever you will be like this. But that's one of the paths. I don't, I don't want you to take that path. One of the other paths is what I would call, and not ungrace, but cheap grace. And cheap grace is the idea uh, that grace is something that you can use uh, like a sponge to just wipe yourself clean, and then you can go on doing whatever it is that you want to do. And you justify your choices and your lifestyle and say, well, you know, I, I did that, but I, I knew God would forgive me, so I did it anyway. Um, now, you've got to understand, you, you can't dent the love of God. I, I want to communicate that really clearly. I'm not trying to say now you can dent it. I'm, I'm just saying in that moment what you're doing is you're failing to apply it. And what happens is you, you, don't, you don't follow Jesus. You just enjoy the benefits of following, like, my, my sins are washed clean, I get to go to heaven, woo, live however I want. And what you do is you're, you've got, like, a savior with benefits. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you're friends with benefits? I mean, can we talk, I don't know if we can talk about that in church, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> like, you got a savior with benefits. That's what you got to understand. Grace costs something. Grace is not cheap. You don't get grace on the clearance aisle at Dollar Tree. It's not. It costs Jesus his life. And the disciples saw the love of God that you could not dent in a living person in front of them, incarnated in Jesus. And they, instead of saying, oh, he's my bro, they were like, no, he's my Lord. And so they were willing to leave everything behind because of the grace of God that they, they saw and understood. And so... They were convicted by this. They were convicted by their sin. There's a difference between being condemned for your sin, which is, uh, I, I'll never measure up, and I'm already written off by God and by people. Jesus even said it like this in John chapter 16. He said, "When the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness, and judgment." What conviction is? Is God points out something specific so that you can be better? Doesn't condemn you for it. Just says this one thing. If we could work on this you would be more loving and you would have a better marriage. You know, if you fix this one thing, you, then people would be able to get along with you better. It's, the, the Holy Spirit's very specific and points it out so that you can be 
so that you can be better. But cheap grace is one of the paths you can go down. You can say, well, just, you know, Jesus is my bro. I don't want you to go down those paths. If you're imagining that path, you're walking down that path, and there's those two options. Uh, the, the way of grace, the path that you walk on grace, is almost sometimes it's covered over with brush, and, and because it doesn't get used much, the path of ungrace and the path of cheap grace get used all the time by people. And the path of, you kind of have to clear the brush away and go, oh, there's the path. Because what I, what, when, you, when you understand that the love of God, you can't dent the project of God's love for you or for anyone else for that matter. Then you go, okay, that gets into you. Then you become a, like a carrier of grace. And when you get cut, you bleed grace. And I want you to bleed grace. I want, you, I want us to be a graceful church that treats people with grace. So I want to give you five uh, postures, if you will, or responses that will come out of you if grace has worked its way into you. And, and it's just an across, expels the word grace, and I'll give you some scripture and that. Here's the first thing, that if you're a graceful person, grace has gotten in you, will, will come out of you, is that you'll give people uh, what they don't deserve. Uh, now Jesus said it this way, he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil, what's the word? And, and the good. He sends rain on the righteous, what's the word? And the unrighteous. See, we think God sends his rain and his son on the good and the righteous. No, no. God's in the practice of giving people things that they do not deserve and have not earned. This is just what God does. This is God's nature. This is God's character. That's what he's like. And if, if you say, okay, I understand that at one point I was God's enemy and he loved me, then if you are God's enemy, I can love you. That's, I mean, this is the, actually the defining thing about Christian people is not that we love, it's that we love our enemies. It's easy to love people that love you. <laughs> that's, that's easy. Love people who don't love you, who hate you? Well, that's different altogether. So you give people what they don't deserve. Uh, second thing is this, that you release people from having to please you. Paul says it in Colossians. He says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. There's a scene uh, when one of the disciples, Peter, comes to Jesus and Jesus has been talking about forgiveness and the power of forgiveness and how it sets you free and sets the person free. And, and Peter comes and he says, Lord, how many times am I to forgive my brother when he sins? Uh, uh, three, four? I mean, in that day, the rabbis, the teachers said, you know, you were very magnanimous of spirit if you would forgive someone three times for the same offense. So Peter ups the ante. He's like, what, Lord? Seven? And what he's wanting from Jesus is, oh, Peter, gold star, way to go, seven. Oh, that's exactly the answer I'm looking for, seven. Uh, Jesus turns the, the tide on him, and he says, no, Peter, 70 times seven. Now, if you do the math, that's 490. Jesus is not saying you count or you get an app that you download on your phone that registers when people sin against you, and you go, oh, 490, 489, 490, oh, you're done, you're out. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying you always forgive. No matter what, you always forgive. You release people from having to please you. You let them go. And you say, I'm not going to hold that against you anymore. Give what isn't deserved. You release people. And then you accept people the way they are without trying to force them to change. This is how Paul says it in Romans. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. How did Christ accept you? with your flaws. You can, listen, you cannot accept another person unless you also accept their flaws. 
Did you know when you had children that they had flaws and to be their parent, you have to accept their flaws too? Did you know that when you married someone, you married their flaws too? See, what we think is like, my, I, my flaws are annoyed by your flaws because I don't do that. But there's the only way you can accept someone is if you accept them with your flaws. And, and Paul says when you do that, that it brings praise to God. Well, how does it bring praise to God? Well, only when I understand there's a love bigger than me can I overlook your flaws because they've annoyed my flaws. That brings praise to God because only God could help me love someone that's different than me and has flaws that I don't have. You accept them, you accept, uh, accept them the way Christ accepted you. And then uh, this is that you would cover their sins with love. In that passage there in 1 Peter, Peter says, listen, love one another deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. In other words, what love does is it covers over the misses and the errors and the faults and the missteps and the mistaken judgment and the bad judgment. And it, it says, I love you anyway. I'm going to cover over what you've done. And I'm going to overlook it. I didn't ask for permission to, to say this, give this illustration, and uh, I didn't ask between the second service, either, before the second service either, because I knew she wouldn't give it to me, but Lori, Lori Belcher, who works in our office, super organized, and she keeps me on track. And um, the number of times she will say, hey, did you, did you remember to call that person? Uh, did you tell that person this? Did you do this? That I, I just left to my own devices. I mean, I'd, I'd forget. And she doesn't lord it over me, or make fun of me behind my back because I'm not good at what she's good at. She covers over my, my sins in that way, in that, in that sense of the word. When grace gets in you, then you can do that because you understand that God covered over your sins. Oh, well, if he didn't cover it over my sins, then I surely can cover over yours. And then the last one was this, is that you would be a person who encourages you. The writer of the Hebrews said, encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that you won't be hardened by how deceitful sin is. You know what it means to encourage? Uh, encourage means to put courage in. Uh, that means to, uh, to transfuse courage from you to the other person, and you put it into them. And it can look for you like this. You can just send, you, someone comes to your mind, you could just take it that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to send that person a message. Hey, I was just, you don't have to be all, you don't have to be all over-spiritual about it. Hey, God told me to send you a message. You don't have to do that. You can just say, hey, I was thinking about you. You came to my mind, and I wanted you to know that I'm in your corner, and I'm for you, and I believe in you. Man, the number of times that I've listened, sometimes I haven't listened, that I've listened to the prompting of God's Spirit, and I've done that, someone will send a message back, and they'll say, you had no idea how much I needed to hear that exact thing right now. Uh, one of my, ref my, my friends calls it balcony people. He says we all need balcony people. What he means is people who are in the stands of our life, instead of pointing fingers at us, they're cheering us on. Everybody you know needs balcony people. You need balcony people. Everyone you know needs balcony people. Become a balcony person. This week, just send a, send a text, send a voice message, send a, an email, write a note by hand. And that'll blow someone away today. <laughs> Put courage back into them because you and I need that. We need someone to believe in us, to put courage into us. Now, you do that, you become a grace carrier. You give people what they didn't deserve. You, you release people from having to please you. You accept people the way they are. You cover their sins. 
You encourage people. You become a person of grace. You become a person of grace. Now, here's what I want you to do with this. If you want to become a grace carrier, I want you to stand up right now. I'm going to pray for you and the commitment you just made before God. Okay, so God, here we are, uh, your people, and we, uh, we so often think that we can put a dent in your love for us. We so often mistake how your love works, and we think that we earn it. And we're in by grace. I mean, there's no other way any of us are in the door except by grace. So we need uh, your overwhelming love to saturate our soul. Uh, We need your overwhelming love to show us that we cannot dent your project of love for us. And God, we want to, those of us that have stood, we want to, be carriers of grace and so we need the power of your spirit to work in our minds in our hearts and in our emotions in our responses in our thoughts in our bodies to enable us to be carriers of grace so that when we're cut we bleed grace lord make us that kind of a church that when people um show up here or around the people who are real life community church God, that they say, oh, those are people of grace. They don't experience ungrace. They don't get the sense that it's cheap grace. It's grace, the real deal. God, we want that. So we ask for your help in that. We pray this in your name. All God's people said, amen. We always leave you with a blessing. You'll see people around you holding out their hands as their way of saying they'd like to receive that. If you're comfortable with that, please uh, hold out your hands and receive this blessing. May you know the love of God for you that is undentable by you. May you know you're sent out to love God, to love people, to serve the world in his name. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. Our prayer team's down front if you need prayer. <laughs>